All right, so um, we're in, <clears throat> we're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but today the title is. So we're still in 1 Corinthians 12. I know I said last week we'd be on 13 today, um, but we're going to just do kind of reflections on chapter 12. So the title is Reflections on Chapter 12. So just to kind of review, and I'm really glad that everyone's here who's here. Um, for those that aren't here, I hope that they'll listen online so that I, I feel like this last chapter has been pretty significant and um, there's just so much to learn. So just to kind of review real quick what we've been going through, we the series was kind of called God is Not Mute, and we had four parts to that. Um, but remember, I began the first week talking about that dream that I had had. Um, um, no, I'm sorry. A dream that Lindsay had <clears throat> about how at one point, like, suddenly all these new people were coming to our church, and all the existing people were, like, outside, and they were kind of on their own doing their thing. And we were like struggling to meet all these new people and there was kind of this sense of like we we hadn't been giving others in the church the room to participate as much. And so we were like not prepared for this growth. And so I was kind of thinking through like, is God trying to tell us something? Is he trying to prepare us for something? And it was like coincided with going through this chapter and it just kind of gave me the sense of like maybe an area that God wants me to grow in and wants our church to grow in is our awareness of the Holy Spirit's activity in our life, in our church, in our life, and how we as a church can be participating in worship together and ministering to one another. And could that be an area where as we grow in that, then if new people are added to our church, we're all in a place where we're all prepared to just begin to serve them as a church because we're, we have the mentality of we're all here to not just experience church, but to be part of church and to participate in it. And so I asked you guys to be kind of praying through that. And then we had our, our first week, part one of God is Not Mute, um, where we kind of just addressed the first three verses of First Corinthians 12. And I laid three foundational pillars, and I had said that these things are going to matter as we go through this chapter, these three foundations. And the first one was... God is not mute. <clears throat> this is an interactive faith. Um, God is not. He didn't just do something 2,000 years ago and then disappear, and now we just kind of like cast our prayers into the wind, hoping he hears them, and, and he never interacts anymore. It's an interactive faith. And we talked about how the different ways God interacts with us was Scripture and thoughts and conversations with others, and circumstances, and, and even dreams, and visions, and prophetic utterances, and also during times of worship, God can be interacting with us as we, we are, are sensing things in the Spirit, and all, you know, maybe a certain song is played that is just ministering to us where we're at, and so God can interact with us in those ways, but, so He's not mute, but, and then the second pillar was, test what you hear with what you know, and that's one of the kids' fill in the blanks. We talked about testing what you hear with what you know because there are lying spirits and there are false prophets. And so we, and because God is not a liar, God won't contradict himself. Whatever we think we hear, whatever someone else says is from God, if it goes against what he's already revealed in Scripture, we shouldn't believe that thing. And so the first pillar was God is not mute. The second one was 
test what you hear with what you know. And the third one was just unity. It was this whole conversation about the fact that Paul is emphasizing in this chapter the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and how because of that, whatever work he does in us should result in unity among us. And the implication there is if your church is divided like Corinth was, even if you've all got spiritual gifts and you're using them, if you're divided, then God is not doing that work in you. And that was kind of the implication that Paul was trying to get at there. So that was the first week, and those were the, those were the three pillars we talked about. The second week, um, part two, I laid like a, f- a framework for understanding how the Spirit interacts with us, and I mentioned how the Spirit is with us and with the whole world. In fact, He's, he's there. You can see Him at work. Even if you're an unbeliever, you might see something. You might not know it's the Spirit, but it could be the Spirit. He's, he's with us, but He's also in us as believers, and He can come upon us at times. And I kind of spent most of that part two talking about the coming upon and how that really refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, where Jesus calls it the clothing with fire from on high. And even though miraculous signs are often accompanying that act, that coming upon, the main purpose of it is um, evangelism. And that's what Jesus says in Acts 1 verse 8. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. And then we see later on in Acts, in Pentecost, in Acts 2, when that coming upon happens, they speak in other languages, everyone hears it in their own language, but then the main thing happens, the main purpose of it, Peter preaches, Thousands get saved, and we continue to kind of see throughout Acts that when someone is filled with the Spirit, or the Spirit comes upon somebody, that they then preach, and many get saved. Um, So that's the coming upon. That can happen to us. The Holy Spirit can come upon us. He can cause the miraculous to happen through us. But if it's from Him, the main purpose of that is evangelism. He's not just giving us a circus to, to, to look at. He's not just doing miraculous so we can be like, oh wow, come back next week for more miraculous things. The purpose is to point to Jesus. The purpose is the gospel. Um, and then part three, I focus on the in aspect of that, the with, in, and upon. And within the in part of that, I talked about what we have from the Holy Spirit by the nature of him being in us. We talked about the fruits of the Spirit, which Paul listed in Galatians 5, and that was to contrast with the deeds of the flesh. He's like, this is the deeds of the flesh, this is how it looks like being in the world, and now here's what it looks like when you begin to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. These are the things we'll begin to see in your life. And that's really kind of the sanctification topic, the kind of lifelong journey of progressively becoming more and more like Christ as we're led by the Spirit. We'll see these fruits of the Spirit. And we mentioned that. But we also talked about the different gifts of the Spirit mentioned in the Bible. There's what's called the motivational gifts in Romans 12. And that's kind of like the where the gifts test comes from. It's kind of based on like, what are your skills? What are your interests? What are your passions? Here's how God might use that. And so you have, we have these spiritual gift surveys you can do for that. But they call those the motivational gifts. There are also the ministry gifts listed in Ephesians 4, the five-fold ministry, the, the apostles, prophets. Um, I always get them confused. Apostles, prophets, teachers, right? What's next? Let's go there. Ephesians 4. I don't like misquoting things. 
I could have just not quoted it and continued, but now that I started, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, and those were specific sort of offices where the Spirit has gifted someone with a gifting, and now he gives that person with that gift as a gift to the church to build up the church for ministry. They call those ministry gifts. Then there's the manifestation gifts in this chapter, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12. And these are supernatural gifts, not from ourselves, not intended for our own benefit, but for the church. And these things, we're not waiting. So there's a certain thing called second wave. What is that? Second wave charismatic. There, there's, there's a certain kind of Christianity that believes that there's this second event in your life that must happen before you see any of the gifts of the Spirit. So you're waiting for some second wave, some, and they, they call that the baptism of the Spirit, and they believe that all these gifts are attached to that. In my reading of Scripture, I believe that every believer who's born again has the Spirit inside of them, and because of that, you have access to whatever gifts He gives you. And again, the baptism that coming upon, even though miraculous signs might happen through that, the main thing is Powerful evangelism, that's what that's for. And we're not all waiting for that to happen in our life or else we're like, there's no second class of Christian where one is just saved and this other class where these are all like the specially empowered ones, the second wave ones. I don't really follow that. But I still believe in the gifts and the power and that sort of thing. And so then part four last week, we focused again on that third pillar, unity talking more about how Paul, through the whole chapter, is talking about how the Spirit won't contradict or oppose the Son, how they all kind of work together. And then as he's listing the gifts, he continues to emphasize, but it's the same Spirit who gives you these, and it's from the same God and the same Son, the same Spirit, the same Lord. He keeps kind of emphasizing that. And so I asked the question, basically, what would a church look like that was led by the Spirit if the Spirit is in unity with the Father and the Son, and there's no contradiction, and I said things like you would see unity, not division. You'd see clarity, not confusion. You'd see order, not chaos. And so um, there's also this, we kind of ended last week, it's kind of jumbled, but we mentioned this listing of things in verse 28 that Paul mentions, which sounds similar to Ephesians 4, but he mentions um, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And these are all different, again, different ways that someone with a certain gifting might serve in the church. And notice that pastor is not mentioned here. And the reason is because being a pastor is not a spiritual gift. Pastors might have different spiritual gifts, teacher being one of them, but you wouldn't want to have 10 pastors with the same spiritual gift. Ideally, you'd want pastors with different spiritual gifts. One might be gifted in administration. One might be gifted in teaching. One might be gifted in tongues. One might be gifted in prophecy. You know, these different giftings. You'd want to have a a more balanced group of pastors. So Paul doesn't list that as an office that's directly tied to a specific spiritual gifting there. So I think that's interesting. Um, but the main point Paul's getting at, even with that listing, is to say, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? No. And he's getting at this emphasis of there should be unity. We should recognize that we all have different gifts of the Spirit. We all have different callings. And as a church, we should all 
understand that, recognize that, know each other's different giftings and callings, allow ourselves to serve in those ways and be unified, not be competitive, not be divisive. And so, and that's why he goes into chapter 12, chapter 13 next to show love and talk about the importance of love because 1 Corinthians was a church that they weren't lacking in any spiritual gift. He said that in chapter 1. They, weren't, they had all these gifts, they were using them all, but they lacked love and there was division in the church and there were all these problems. So just because you've got some spiritual gift doesn't mean you've arrived someplace spiritually. And Paul's point to this church was, even with these giftings, if there's not unity and there's not love, you're doing it wrong. And so that's where we're kind of headed next. And um, that's where I left off last week. And then as I came to the close of chapter 12, and I was kind of praying for the church this week, and I was praying about on Sunday, sort of beginning chapter 13 and going into the love chapter, um, I just kind of read over chapter 12 again, and I kept just getting hit with all these just thoughts and all these 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 deep nuggets of truth where I was like, ah, are we are we finished as a church going through this? And I felt like by the end of it, did I the way I separated it into four parts, did that end up making the whole thing like less coherent? Are we on the same page with all this stuff? And I just kind of felt like what I wanted to do today is sort of just do a little bit of a review and then open it up for a time of reflection where you all can share any thoughts you have on this chapter. You can ask me any questions that you have about it. You can ask me to clarify what was said. And I just kind of wanted to, as a church, just share some time with this chapter. Like before we move on, just let it sink in and, and allow you guys to ask. And so that's what I want to do now. And also, I've kind of talked about how you know my desire for the coming year, part of what I desire is to see our, our church have a worship time that, that reflects the belief that the Holy Spirit is interactive. Because my concern is that if it's so structured, we sing a few songs, we have a few teachings, and we're done. From the outside looking in, we might as well be cessationists. And I don't want to be that extremely structured where we're not giving God room but I also am concerned about being too charismatic because I've seen the, the bad that comes from that. And so I've talked a bit about that. And if you have any questions for me about that and what I'm thinking, I could talk more about that too. But I just want to make this kind of an open time where anybody can share. You can ask questions and then we'll just end after that. Um, so what we're praying about for next year is starting a little earlier. I don't know if that would work better for you guys or be harder for you. But our idea, so I've been thinking this for a while, not just, I don't necessarily need more teaching time, maybe a little more teaching time, but also I'd like to have longer worship time. And I think that until now, we've sort of hoped that the, the potluck meal afterwards could kind of replace communion because I believe that's what the early church did was they, they had a full meal together. But um, I'm getting concerned now that that's not working for everybody and the, the negative part of that is that means certain people in the church aren't getting to have communion, really, because if they're not able to have the potluck, and that's all we do for communion, and a communion should be a part of what church does, they're missing out on that. And it's not just you guys. Others also can't stay sometimes. And so part of what I wanted to do is pray about starting earlier, having a bit longer worship, then having teaching, ending with communion, and then afterwards, after church is done, having a more simple kind of like 
coffee and cake, stay if you want, leave if you have to, um, more casual, not a full meal, but just more casual, hang out for a bit and talk and fellowship if you can, but if you can't stay, at least you still had communion, we've had longer worship, um, and also during that worship time, I want to start figuring out ways where we can maybe make it feel more like what I know of as like an afterglow service, where it's like you're... You might even pause between songs and if somebody wants to pray or if someone's got a, a verse that God laid on their heart to read or just kind of finding ways to make it more interactive during worship that's, that's still structured and controlled but not so rigid that there's no room given. You know, so th- those are kind of what I'm praying about. Um, I don't know when to start, um, but it, I'm, I'm thinking maybe 9, 30, 10, maybe ending around 11, 30 or so. I, I don't know. So that's something that I wanted to pray about for next year and to share any concerns or any suggestions about that would be great. So when I grew up, um, I grew up in Calvary Chapel. They did something that, if I do a Google search for this word, no other church uses this term. So I don't know if it's a Calvary thing or not, but it was called Afterglow. It didn't happen on Sundays. It was like off at retreats, kind of like what you ladies did at the retreat. We'd have our regular church retreat. You you wake up, breakfast, devotional, chapel time, whatever. Then after lunch, kind of free time, then dinner, you know, chapel again. After that was done, after the final chapel of the day, there'd be this free time where you could play because you're in high school, you could run around, whatever. Before. But if you, it was optional, you'd go to chapel, there'd be a guy playing guitar, and you'd just spend, they'd say an hour, but suddenly it's three hours later. And he'd be, he'd play a song, and he might, you know, play a chorus and repeat it a couple of times, and he would just go through playing different songs. And every so often he'd pause in between, probably trying to figure out what song to play next. But during that time, you know, someone might stand up and say, you know, I was just reading this chapter in Isaiah, and I thought I'd read it to you guys. And they'd just read something from the Word. Or someone else would say, you know, um, I just found out this week this is going on. I could appreciate prayer. And someone else might stand up and pray for them. Or, or you'd see like a circle of people just praying, you know. Like there was, it wasn't, it never got crazy. It never got where people are like, falling on the ground laughing or doing cartwheels. And like, I don't, you know, it wasn't any of that, but it was just people seeking God. It was, it was free time of, you know, you could, there were, there were people up front that if you had a question or you had a prayer request, you could ask for prayer even during the time of worship. Or you could say, you know, I, we were singing that song and I got this vision and I don't know what it means, but this is kind of what I saw. Maybe that means something to you. And then they sit down again. And so it was, a time for that um, and I'd like to find a way to do it now again we don't have three hours on Sunday but I'd like to have a kind of worship on Sunday that feels like we're we're not just going through the motions of singing songs and mm-hmm. and hearing some teaching but we're actually we have an awareness that we're meeting with God here and he might be trying to say something to us mm-hmm. and he might not be we're not going to manufacture it and I don't want to get into the habit of like I'm going to repeat the same course a thousand times and louder and louder so we all just feel something. I don't want to manufacture it, but I want to give God time in case he wants to do something. Um, um, I I can read something too. This is uh, because when I started talking about this last week about kind of this sort of interaction during church. Um, I was in this class, so I do this seminary thing and and I had to do a very basic essay on what do I believe about the Holy Spirit, what does my church teach about the Holy Spirit. But then at the end, they would give you a, like a model. This, this, this is how your essay should have looked or whatever. 
And this one that I got, it actually stuck with me, and it's been months now since I read it, but I was reminded of it last week, and I looked it up again. It was, the person's nameless, but they go to um, a church that has sort of helped build my seminary in South Africa. And this is what they said. Now, I've never seen a church do this, but this seemed intriguing to me the way they described it. They said, I've worshipped at this church for 14 years. Um, The church described itself as a a Jesus-centered church family. In a statement of faith, they say this about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit in and through the life of the believer, in his empowering and equipping for service and ministry, and in his definite yet progressive work of sanctification commencing at the time of the new birth and continuing until the consummation of salvation. So then it goes on, the worship and prayer practices of this church validate its claim to believe in the supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Despite experiencing growth, the eldership, and they have like 10 elders now, the eldership strives to keep individual services small enough for every congregant to participate by praying, reading a scripture, or sharing a word of prophecy, or comfort, encouragement, exhortation. The services allow gaps for this to happen during worship, and it happens during most services. Although not a weekly feature of the worship culture, church services sometimes include invitations for people to come for prayer. And then um, this part. Perhaps the adage, open but cautious, would characterize our church's attitude towards spiritual gifts. We believe the Holy Spirit's gifts, that he gifts people for ministry, We believe in gifts such as prophecy and speaking in tongues, and we strive to create a culture in which believers feel welcome to use them. However, these gifts are not glorified as if they are the measure of spirituality, and prophetic words are treated with both caution and openness. So that's interesting. You know, they they seem to have room for it, but they're also cautious, and it it gives me the impression that if somebody said, I think God is saying this, that the leadership is there also kind of weighing it and say, okay, but that that would be against, you know, like you'd, you'd correct somebody if they were saying something that wasn't biblical, then, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but not in a way that no, people would be afraid to share because they don't want to be wrong. I don't want to do that. But also not just giving anybody full reign to say, you know. Like, you know, for example, I protect this church from stuff. We, people call me wanting to come to church, and you can tell they've got an agenda. Like one guy called, I'm Prophet Joel. I want to come to your church. You know, he was some kind of Western cowboy guy, which seems kind of funny, but then he calls himself Prophet Joel. Says, oh, well, where have you been serving? Well, I'll tell you the truth, I haven't been in church in nine years. I'm like, okay, so you're calling yourself a prophet. <laughs> haven't been in church in nine years? You're not welcome here. Like, I'm not going to have some random guy coming into my church saying, God said this, who's not even in church somewhere. You can't even, you can't even call his church to get a reference, yeah. you know? <laughs> but he's walking around calling himself Prophet Joel. So, so it's like... You've you got to protect yeah. against that, but you also don't want to do what Paul says. Don't quench the Spirit either. You want to have an environment that's open, but also cautious, protective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I think, another great um, reason why it can be important to have more participatory worship because then it's not eyes on one person. Mm-hmm. People get the sense in church that I'm part of this, you know, because mm-hmm. I have talked a lot about how I try to avoid the um, the celebrity culture aspect of things, yeah, you know, where as the church grows and they're just following one guy, like, oh, that guy, mm-hmm. you know, he sings so great or he plays drums so great or, or that guy that just, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah, or that guy just pre, you know, oh, like, 
avoiding those kinds of things, yeah. you know. And so having where people when people come to church and they think I'm not just experiencing some talent, but I'm experiencing something that I'm part of. But I think it's important because you know, as long as you don't feel like that means you have to say something. Just yeah. you know, if it's quiet, it's quiet. It's the same thing for me leading. Like, what if I stop playing and nobody prays? Like, fine, then nobody prayed. Like, you know, you you leave room for it. No one's pressured. Uh, I also wouldn't want someone to think, you know, if there's a quiet moment, okay, here's my list. Pray for the president. Pray for the government. Pray for the teachers. Pray for, and just kind of go down. And all of a sudden, an hour later, every week we're just kind of praying for whatever. Like, like if you know, if if God puts on your heart to pray for Trump one week, by all means do it. But I wouldn't want to get into a habit of like. We have this list we go down every week. Right. Because then again, it's structured. It's not. Structured, yeah. We want to see is, is God, you know, is, you know, moving us to especially pray for somebody this week. Anybody else have any comments or questions or anything on 1 Corinthians 12? What he's been laying on my heart is the fact that growing up, I used to always say that I... I was part of the church that believed in the gifts of the Spirit, but you'd never see it. And um, I've been at churches that were the opposite extreme, but I, I think this is something that God wants me to grow in, and I think he wants our church to grow in. I think that we shouldn't look like cessationists if we're not. I think we should look like people who believe that God interacts with mm-hmm. us, but I don't think we should be promoting sensationalism or chasing after a feeling or chasing after some experience necessarily. I think that we should be chasing after God. Um, yeah, and it's, so in a sense it's uncharted territory just from the, just from the sense of like, you know, I read that, that testimony and I like that. I'd love to experience that, but I never have. Yeah. But I don't, I don't feel like I lack the understanding to know how to do that necessarily but I've just never been part of it so it feels kind of uncharted you know and like but I think um, the, the timing of the like the dream that I had and the dream that Lindsay had and then going through this chapter and like I got yet another dream last night that Lindsay was able to interpret that made sense along these lines it, it seems like because I don't I don't claim prophecy a lot I don't right. say things like God is saying this I don't you know but it it does seem to me that God might be leading us in that direction. Um, and so I'm excited. I look forward to it. But I, but I do, I, I personally sense that would be good if we could meet earlier, have a longer time for worship to have some interaction. Just, we're just waiting on him. We're giving him the time, you know. Just because we're giving God time to speak on Sunday doesn't mean that he's going to always do something unique and different yeah. every Sunday. He might just be happy with our worship and we're just waiting on him, but he might just be okay with us singing.